Hello and welcome back to the All Serious Very Adult Podcast. This is the second, yes, second episode of a mini-series me and Andy recorded at Helium Comedy in Philadelphia. This was for a series of memorial shows for Mike Brooks, of which this was the final leg of the trip. Now, these episodes are a little bit different. Normally, we know the people who come on our show, you know, we've either worked with them or we're friends with them. Uh, this time, we went in blind. These wonderful and brave comics literally came up to me only knowing my name. And by the time we left, we'd made some new friends. It was a lot of fun. It was a good experience. We touched on a lot of the stuff I wanted to get to when we started the show earlier this year. And we learned a little bit more about Mike Brooks along the way. This week, we have comedian and author Dave Taruso, who joined us to discuss the importance of connecting with your audience, how to find your voice, what goes into the structure of a set, and how it's never too late to start doing what you love. Dave is a really interesting, very analytical person. I particularly enjoyed this episode. It was one of those where I just sat there and and listened and probably stared at him and made him uncomfortable. <laughs> I, I, was, I was thrilled with our conversation. He's clearly someone who knows his stuff and is very passionate about it. I was enthralled. I'm setting the bar very high for you, Dave. So if you're listening, the pressure is on. Let's do it. I'm Dave Teruso. Dave Teruso. Hey, I'm Mike Pridgen. And I'm Andy Kirkwood. Andy Kirkwood. Nice to meet you. And this is our shitty podcast that we run out of like Helium it. Comedy Club. It's a nice way to meet somebody <laughs> to just walk up to a microphone. Oh, yeah. It's and great. Sit down I, and talk. I, the, the, the chaotic nature of this is, is fantastic. I, we've never done something quite like it's this. It's pretty, me neither. We've yes. recorded in some weird places before. Mm-hmm. We're getting panel roasted here. Like we've, we've done all sorts of stuff here, but you're uh, you're performing tonight. I'll, I'll, I just did. Oh, you just yeah, did. Yeah, I just did like five Where'd minutes ago. It was it was fun. I I uh, I went pretty dirty, which is not the norm for one of these shows. But okay. I could tell from just my read of the first fifteen minutes that they were they would go for it. Yeah. And I like when Latisse set up the show, she said cleanish so that's like no f words but like you can talk about whatever yeah. and but right before i went on it's like can i go dirty and she's like yeah it's fine and i went yeah. filthy and they liked it so if you have a fine. good fart story like that's yeah. probably gonna be fine it's weird because uh, the uh fundraiser crowds charity crowds are some of the tighter crowds there are yeah. and i never understand why and my my theory is is that fundraiser crowds because they're there doing some good they have a uh, and without realizing it, they have like a subliminal feeling of superiority. Like I'm a good person. I donated to a Ooh, thing, and that puts yeah. the comedian okay. in the wrong place. I don't yeah. know if that's a real thing or if I just made that up. But uh, I've, what I've discovered is they surprisingly either they hate dirty stuff and they just like close their arms and like we're good people. We don't want to hear this. Or like this crowd, they were like, yeah, just bring or it. Or they just they love it. Yeah. So yeah. that it went. It was a gamble and it, it worked. It Everyone's and I hate blaming the room for anything. I don't ever. do that. I don't believe yeah. that. It's but it's like, it's you know what mood are they in and what do they want and are you giving that to yeah. them or not? You know. Now, when you say reading a room for the people who don't know, when you get up on a stage, it's kind of like you you walk into a party. And you have to gauge whether or not you're going to take your shirt off. Exactly. You, you need to look around. You know, you need to, a, a comedian, especially like if you watch a like a pro who's headlining, who like tours the country, yeah. even at a low level, they go sit in the back of the room and drink and watch the host and maybe some of the feature and see what the yeah. room is like so that they can do their job better. Because it's like, yeah, if you go to a party and you stand in the back and you drink and everyone's talking politics and you're like, okay, this is a smart 
crowd, you know, they probably don't want me to take my shirt off. But if you get there and people are, are, yeah. are doing, you know, bong hits and they're like doing keg stands and you know the difference. Yeah. So, yeah, you should. Uh, it's a good rule to, to yeah. sit and get a, get a feel for the room. So you mesh with them. It's, it's like a sales pitch. And there, there's something in sales where it's people don't buy the product. They buy you. So when you're going yeah. up there, you are selling yourself to this audience. Yes. You can have the best material ever, but if they're not feeling you as a person, they're done. Yes, and it's like, I, people don't understand this too, because all, all we know of comedy is what we see on TV, and everyone you see on TV, for the most part, is a known entity. So I, you know, you come out on stage, and you're Anthony Jeselnik, they already know you and what you do, and they know your, your jokes are evil, and then that's your thing, and that you're cocky, and that's a joke. Yeah. So you, he can just come out and do all that and, and not have to win anyone They're over. They're there for that. Brand. Whereas you're a complete unknown. So when you come out, your first minute and a half is just you introducing yourself. Even though you're telling jokes, really – they are not listening to your jokes. They're trying to get a feel for, is this guy okay? Is this guy cool? Is this guy a bigot? Is this guy misogynist? Yeah. Is this guy so too weird? Is he too dumb? Is he too smart? You know, like they want to yeah. know. And then they relax and then they go, okay, I, this guy's got me. And it's a primal thing. It plays into our instincts because we're just animals, man. Like we're just, we're trying to survive here. Yes. And, and we see somebody and yeah, like we know it's a comedian on a, on a, conscious level but you know in our stupid animal brains we're like is this guy a it's 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 yeah. us versus them and the yeah. beginning of your set until you are that known is to prove to somebody i'm an us i'm not a them mm. and that we're all together mm -hmm. you know but the host job i've always people have always described it as like you the way it was described to me like when i got hired here was like you have one foot in the audience and one foot on stage half of your job is to get them laughing and mm -hmm. get the show going and tell jokes the other half is to like welcome them to the party and get them excited yeah. for the people after you who are way better than you. Are you hosting? No. Okay, I did not I was host about this to say, because you'd be a shitty host if you were here. No, 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 no. <laughs> I meant, like, hosting yeah. here as a job. Okay. Yeah. Oh, so you, like, you're here quite a bit. Well, we only... I, I feature now, mm -hmm. and it's very, very sporadic, because a lot of headliners bring their features yep. here yes, specifically because this is ranked one of the top 10 clubs in the country and yes, once is. other comics know that reputation of like oh my god the crowds are great the room is awesome it's set up perfectly yeah. Todd Glass set up this room I want to perform here yeah. so they bring their own people and then it's like I have no work to do so it's it's <laughs> incredibly sporadic I mean like yeah. twice a year is a lot to yes. do it was more when I was hosting because nobody brings their own host the host is always a local guy with rare exception to somebody bring the whole show but a lot of people bring their own features yeah, yeah. and then sometimes like you know comics I, I i do know of some headliners that they know people in the different cities and they just right. like hey i'm gonna pull you up yeah if you're if, if you come back to town yeah. you'll feature sometimes like i've hosted for someone and then a year later or two years later they came back and i got to feature for them because they knew who i was they yeah. already know i know what your act is like and i know yeah. you're not a jerk because half of it is are you funny? And the other half is, do I want to be around you? Do I want to hang out with you? Because you can be funny, but you can be an asshole and nobody wants to work with you. Exactly. And it's that is they're they're yeah. they're much more even than people think. Like I, I opened for I hosted for Charlie Murphy here like six years oh, ago, shit. and he told me he, his feature is this guy Freeze Love, who was amazing, really funny dude. But he's a yeah. giant. Very like intimidating looking dude. He was the sweetest guy ever, but mm -hmm. he looked like he could kill you. He was like six five, like three hundred pounds. And Charlie Murphy said he's like, I tour with this guy because yes, he's funny, but I know if I was at a bar or one of these clubs and I got in a fight, he would back me up. Oh, he'd end. And that was important <laughs> for him. Like it yeah. was, Charlie Murphy did not need any help. Charlie Murphy was uh, just yeah. 
a very scary, intimidating presence and very like muscular oh, and fit. Sure. But he wanted to know like if I throw down, this guy's gonna. He's got somebody. Even and it's than interesting. You see it, like you see like the comics who are big drinkers who want to stay all night and drink. That's the features they end up having. The guys who are quieter comics. and they go home. They, you know, they're in the comic books. That's yeah. who they bring. It's like people bring like people that they would just yeah. be friends with normally. When I started out, I got so many spots because I don't drink. I don't like, drink either. Yeah, yeah and it's a like big... I, because I was basically just a designated driver who also told jokes. They're like, yeah, I'll put you up. <laughs> awesome. Let's go up to New York City. I'm like, fuck yeah. That's how... I that's forget awesome. who it was. I think it was Mike Birbiglia. Like, that's how he got to become a road comic. Is like, mm-hmm. people would... He just got jobs because he mm-hmm. could be the DD because he didn't drink at all. And, like, yeah. that's a big... Because people, what people don't know about after a comedy show, the comics usually hang out. Like, I've spent lots of time in bars just sitting at the bar eating wings because I like yeah. the shit on wings yeah. but I just don't drink it all yeah, most comedians so. are in it mostly for the hang and then the comedy is like <laughs> the second no thing yeah they don't and that's we don't relate to anybody else yeah and that's it's an interesting thing so if, you, if you're not like I, I've always felt like an outsider because I don't drink because I don't yeah engage in that culture i go home earlier i've always had a nine to five and stuff and i'm lame so like i always feel a little bit outside of it but yeah there are other people yeah i few of us it, it's a blessing when you get to be a working comic yeah you know, I, I i could never imagine being a touring comic because it's so lonely on the road and if you don't drink i feel like you'll just kill yourself yeah. <laughs> just waiting until weed's legal everywhere yeah maybe that'll help <laughs> yeah touring i I, I've I've done a fair bit of traveling. I've I've been around. I've I've slowed down recently. I, you know I had to get a real job and be an adult and all. Yeah. That. How I'm, old are you? I'm 25. So. Right, yeah. So you're you're in the right age. Like I didn't start doing stand up until I was 30. I'm 40. Oh really? So you're like 40? Yeah. Fuck. I I, uh, I wish God, I was that good at 40. You. you will. You <laughs> yeah. will. I can tell. You both will. Oh. Um, you. are Yeah. Like I. You're so already on the show. You know I had I, mean? I had done I had done. Um, I had done sketch for like eight years and improv for a year. So I was in yeah. the scene, but I wasn't doing stand-up. Okay. And I wish I'd started when I was like 22 because it's a young person's thing. Like when you get to... Uh, Ronnie Dangerfield started, what, 55? Well, like, he started he got, up again. He started yes. up again because he started when he was younger. It didn't work out. He went into sales for 30 years. Yes. And which is what I'm doing now. So Yeah, and he and then he came back <laughs> to it. it. He to had 50. another yeah. sort of like leg of his career, and that's when he and really he got famous. It. And that's why he was so good. He yeah. Because he had been around forever, and he had such a polished thing Just and so a persona because it's half of what you do did you have an inkling and that's another thing I'll, I'll get into in a second but did you have even an inkling when you were 20 or 22 or whatever that you wanted to do comedy i it's weird i write novels that's like my okay. thing and that's always been my thing i went to school for that and i just always thought i'm writing novels and in my but i was making like funny movies with my friends as a teenager and in college i wrote some funny like plays that we put on and i had a friend who was on an improv group here in Philly, and she's like, you have to come join my group. And that's how I got started doing comedy. And then I just found out, like, oh, I'm also a performer, and I need this. It's great because the recluse writer part of me goes home and writes for a while, and then the the extrovert part of me wants, craves people, and then I go do a show, and then I fill up with all that stimulation. It's too much. I go home, and I go back and and write alone. So you have ups and downs. You sound like you have a very healthy grasp on this. It's just, yeah, I've just been around for so long. But I'm, I'm a weird comic, too, because, like, most comedians that I know, um, 
the overwhelming majority of comedians in general, if they don't get up a couple times a week, they feel rusty and weird. And I, when I did sketch, we'd only do a show every couple months. We were doing like a new 90 minutes or an hour every time. Like so we play. were used, yeah, we were used to like three months yeah. of nothing. So I can be away for a month and then come and do a show. And I'm, I'm not, I'm not perfect. I'm not in that like fight and shape, but like my rust goes away way You're quicker functional. because I'm used to that as opposed to comics who get up every week, which is what you're supposed to do, and then yeah. they that's what they need, and like three days away from it, they're like, I don't know, I'm out of it. I've been consumed by work for the last while, so I haven't been able to get up as much as I'd like to. Yeah, I'm, I'm cyclical I'm like that. When I'm working on a book, I go away, and then when the book is done, I have a thing where I just do this and binge on it, you know. But you're still, I, what I'm getting from this, there's a constant of you being creative, constantly. Yeah, yeah, what I realized is I'm a, in general, I'm a storyteller, and I'm an entertainer, and I'm a comedian, period. My first, like, six novels, they were, like, practice novels. They were all really serious. And my seventh one, the first one I got published, was the first one that was funny. When I realized, like, oh, no, I need to combine these yeah. two things. My storytelling and my comedy are one thing. And that's yeah. the only way. That's when I, like, found my voice is, like, I wrote as myself. And myself is, even if I'm telling you the story of how my whole family died, you're going to laugh. Yeah. And I needed to put that in my books. Because you're hitting it with the perspective and the personality. Yes. And that's what you were just talking about before with, like, you need to be able to buy the personality. Because the, the material, and I always use this as an example, the material can be okay, you know? Or the material can be fantastic, but if you're just up there deadpanning it and that's not your style, it's not going to work. And people can feel it. Mm -hmm. Like, some people do dirty jokes and the audience gets a feeling that that's not their thing and they don't go for it. Like, yeah. they want you to be, the more yourself you are, like, I'm pretty dirty. Like and I do a lot of clean shows because that's how you make money and I've done it, but I feel my most at home and at my at myself when I'm being dirty. So yeah. when I'm given the freedom to do whatever I want, I go really dirty because that's who I am. I think it's more of a genuine switch going from dirty to clean than it is from clean to dirty. Because if you're like, if you're not really actually dirty and you're just trying for the shock factor, people are gonna feel it. Yeah, exactly. That's dirty, that you're, feeling. You're going clean, you can do it. Yeah, that was hard for a long. Like now, I can do a half an hour clean, and it's like good material. When I first started, I could do like four minutes clean or like an hour dirty. Like you know, yeah. like okay, you know, so it you took you a long time. It took me a long time to build clean stuff that was good and figure out what what I can what's funny about me when I'm being clean and usually mm -hmm. it's sort of a, a silliness or a way of like looking at life that's incredibly darkly honest in a way that's so yeah. brutally honest that people laugh that they can't believe I'm saying that you know what I mean like wow that's you just broke down what my relationship with my girlfriend is like so darkly I can't believe you said yeah. that and I'm laughing at that oh if you can relate to something because you know there I I've always been an observational comic I'm a little bit absurdist um, in, in terms of observation. So I, I don't have a ton of stories about myself, which is kind of my downfall, I think. Um, but it, it works. Like, as you How have, long have you been doing it? I started in 2013, took a break, came back in 2016, and then I did it consistently for about two years, and then I slowed down. So a you're bit. still really early in I'm it. I'm still very new. And it, you yeah. will find the, the stories about you that you want to do you know what I mean like there's an like evolution I'm still feeling things I'm different now completely than I was when I started yeah you will and you continue to be because yeah. the beginning of uh, people don't understand I don't think the beginning of stand up the first three four or five years is not about your material it's about just learning how to live on stage and be cool with it and it doesn't matter if your act is good or not it's like yeah. are you getting comfortable are you getting at home with it and then your your act comes are Even, you jittery are you yeah shaky? like look at some of the most serious yeah. like amazing deep comics like somebody like Bill Burr like 
his early stuff is really silly and goofy, but it's funny. But yeah. it's, it was him learning the act. People always think, again, because we'll always see is what's on TV that, like, yeah. I got to be doing stuff as good as Bill Burr's special. It's like, no, Bill Burr started yeah. out with very simple setup, punch, early, you know, storytelling stuff that came together. And then once you learn that, you take the training wheels off and you write bigger stuff. People also, always want to jump in yeah. at advanced calculus. And they don't want to learn 2 plus 2 equals 4. There's also a lot of editing in those specials. Of course. So if a joke doesn't yeah. land, they have enough laughter that they can fill it in. Yes, and so. it's special. People don't understand. I didn't understand this until I started doing this for a few years. A special is filled with people mostly who didn't pay for tickets. It's like they friends and family, fans of you. People are just excited to be there. Mm-hmm. They, they're prepped before the show. Mm-hmm. Hey, you got to laugh. You got to be big. Like They're, a totally, they're a totally curated mm-hmm. audience. It's not the only, the only CDs I know of that is just a regular audience. There's a... Uh, Andrew Dice Clay's the, the Day the Laughter Died, I think it's called. And it's he just went just, he went to a club and did his thing and it like it doesn't go well because <laughs> of course if you not. don't know who Andrew Dice Clay is and he comes on and it's just pure filth, people mm. hated it. But most yeah. times, yeah, it's this very curated thing and, and that's you're getting something very specific that because I've se- I've seen my friends here do CDs and like I've known them for years and I'm like, I've never seen them get that many laughs, but it's mm. this crowd is just it's they there's so many fluffers but that come before crowd. and yeah exactly it's it, you're not just walking into a room and just destroying which can happen yeah but it's when you're filming you're like all right let's let's yeah let's fluff this room and it's not that they're like happen. pity laughing it's like something that would be a seven in laughs normally is a 10 when you're filming a special because people yeah. are aware of that and they're they're trying to make you look good you know but that there's nothing wrong with that but we look at that and think that's what they're like every show then they're not no one's like that every show but, the energy no. of that audience in those specials, though, is I think a big part of, like you, like, someone sitting at home watching a Netflix special of a comedian. They, like, a joke is like what you said. A joke can be funny, but then like the audience laughing kind of like feeds into that, you know? Like, yeah, you you sometimes I laugh more at the laughter, yeah, or I'm more excited about. Like, I find myself re-listening to tracks because I want to hear that audience's reaction more mm-hmm. than I want to hear the joke because that yeah. is. Yeah, part of it. You know? I studied that, that up always, and down. There's always that one lady in the front row. <laughs> you yeah, always hear I mean, somebody. Somebody with you know there yeah. are people who get paid to be audience members because they have really like oh yeah different distinctive laughs. They mm. get paid to be sit in like sitcoms, like live sitcoms. It's an amazing. I would love that because I'm a I'm a cackler <laughs> yeah. to the point like if I was ever in comedy competitions, I would always leave the room when I wasn't on stage because I'd help other people win with yeah. my cackle. It's like not good. <laughs> I feel like I gotta get yeah. out of here because it gets other people laughing. I'm it's too loud. Yeah, I'm like things for myself. Yeah, I'm sabotaging me. Yeah. So I, I'm sorry. I'm, oh, you're good. I've been on. like, I'm, I've been. A yeah, statue. you're getting drowned out over here. <laughs> yeah, please. I've just I've been doing a lot of thinking. I'm really curious as a comedian. Uh, how do you approach writing? Because I'm, kind, I call myself a writer. I haven't done anything. Meaning but, like the novel stuff or yeah, or the yeah, stand up. Like, uh, no, like I want to I want to know like how does a comedian approach writing novels? For, for me, it's been purely through voice. Like, when I'm developing characters and outlining, I'm just in straight-up writer's mode, and I, it's all dead serious, and what's this character's arc, and what's the internal arc, and what's the external arc, and blah, 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 and the plot and all that. And then when I start writing, I, you know... Om- I pretty much write exclusively first-person, present-tense narrative, so it's, like, completely immersed in the main character's head. Yeah. And I just write things the way I experience them, which my way of seeing things is funny in and of itself in that it's 
it's again it's brutally honest but it's also just i just have weird thoughts yeah and i just kind of inject that into the story so i don't write jokes in my books and i don't come up with scenarios where like oh this is going to be a funny scene in a farcical way yeah. i write a serious story and then i tell it in a funny way hmm. and mm-hmm. and let the characters say funny things when it's warranted mm-hmm. I, I always improvise all the dialogue like i'll i know in this scene that this guy's got to tell this guy his wife you know is having an affair that's all i know and everything else is improvised and in that improvisation i find there's funny things of just yeah. the way people tell things like oh if you have to break the news to somebody that their wife is cheating on them how do you do that to soften the blow what funny things do we do so i'm not thinking like is this going to get a laugh i just write it and when i go back and read it i'm like this is funny or people tell me that that really made me laugh i'm like but that's skillful so, in its own way and that's something that you can't teach and that's tone so it's just like yes, a natural tone, process yes. tone is the hardest thing for a a writer specifically a novelist to master is the last thing you master it's and it's you know when you watch a movie and they're able to you know make you laugh in one scene and cry a lot later that balancing act is the hardest thing to do because and you've seen way more movies where they do it wrong yeah where like you're like you can't be serious now this was too stupid or the other way around like i can't laugh right now because you didn't bridge the gap between how how sad what just happened Mm -hmm. was like the marvel movies do it really well yes uh, where they something sad will happen and somebody will say something funny. They found a way to hit that balance. And a lot of it is if you develop characters people love, they care about them, yeah. you get away with anything. Yeah. And some of what I think is controlling the tone expertly is just, no, I care so much about Iron Man and about Tony Stark that when he says something funny, I just laugh and I don't even yeah. think about it. Whereas if he was just some dick I didn't know, mm-hmm. I'd be like, why is this guy saying something funny when somebody just died that's not funny yeah. anymore? Because you, know? you know that he cares, and that's like, right. it's yeah. just a tough guy right. persona, and he's always just quipping just to kind of cover up his own insecurities. Yeah. Scorsese can so. suck it. This is cinema. <laughs> Scorsese and yeah. his stupid mom. And now we take a trip to the Ant Vault to visit those who wanted to... And now we take a trip to the Ant Vault to visit those who wanted to... <laughs> You had a groove going for like 15 weeks. And now we take a trip to the Ant Vault to visit those who wanted to sponsor us but gave us a bad check. This episode of the All Serious Very Adult Podcast is brought to you by the letter X. When you want everything in your life to be a little bit more extreme, just add the letter X in front of it. Extreme, um, uh, espresso, uh, shit, I other stuff in the car, um, X-rated, um, I swear to God, I had more stuff in the car. <laughs> and that's why he got pulled over. <laughs> Andy, do you want to talk games. about... X Games. Yeah. FX. Extreme... Yeah. <laughs> Fuck. <laughs> I got nothing. I have two, I, I had this prepared and I still have X is the 24th letter of the alphabet. And unlike the letter 20 or the number 24, we will not make it to episode 24. This is episode, I don't know, but it's certainly not 24 because we've been canceled long before this. Season 10, season, season 2 starts with episode 11, I think. Season two starts and ends with this, <laughs> this whole thing. Sweet dreams. No, it's not it. Um, man, that was a bad one. And I mean, you know, comedians, you know, we're at our, at our, I think, at our funniest when things are are bleak. I mean, this thing that we're talking about, we're here for Mike Brooks's, you know, fundraiser for him and like him 
dying was like one of the just saddest things I'd ever thought of in my I couldn't even imagine if you would just say like who's the person in this scene if you had to pick one person that you would least likely to see pass away young I would be like oh Mike Brooks you know yeah and hearing it was just such a terrible gut punch to everyone and yet when we're all together and we did it tonight we did it right when we found out you know we're still saying funny things to each other and there's there there's something really sharp about them because you know you're desperately needing to laugh and everyone else is too because the pain is so intense you know you're, you're somebody's holding a hot poker to your chest yeah and it hurts so bad and you're just like i need to I need to pour some 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 water, cold water on this. So you come out with some funny stuff that just like I mean even at his like his um, you know memorial like we were just people just said things to me that made me crack up and it was like yeah. I was so sad I didn't want to get out of bed that day I didn't want to go in I sat in the car like I don't want to do this yeah. but while I was in there with them I was cracking up a lot you that's know that's the atmosphere he created yes that's the the impact that he left behind I wasn't fortunate enough to know him. Uh, but just, I know so many people that do know him. So I've been, I, I'm getting to know a lot. Like I'm seeing stories, and I'm starting to hear stories here, and it's it's an incredible loss. Yeah, you know, sure. you know when somebody dies, and people mm-hmm. have those platitudes that are all made up. Oh, everybody loved him. He lit up a room and all that stuff. And you're like, that's bullshit. With Mike, it was true. Like I can say that without feeling in any yeah. way disingenuous. Like he just, everybody liked him. He was yeah. always nice to everybody. He's always just. A, a sweet guy. Every audience I was ever in front of with him loved him. I hated following him all the time. I had him, like I recorded a thing and I had him, and I'm like, why did I have him open? You can't follow him. He just everybody just loved him. Uh, like he's my mom and dad and my girlfriend's favorite stand-up, and I also I also do stand-up. I just yeah, in case you forgot that part, I also do it. I said that to his mom and dad at the mm-hmm. at the memorial. I said, just so yeah. you know, Mike is my mom and dad and girlfriend's favorite comic, and I'm also a comic, and I hated him for it. You know, like that kind of thing. Yeah. So, yeah, that's that's the thing. It's very intangible too. Yeah. Like to say, I don't know, just when somebody's a good dude and they care, and you can tell. You know, so that's how I think about it. Is all the things people fakely say when somebody died were actually true about him, and how do you? Like, I, I don't know that you can believe me saying that because he did pass away. But I've like, been seeing so much, like, just stories and videos and three, not just one, but three benefit shows. Yeah, that's insane. Yeah, Punchline, Fergie's, and here. Yeah. I was supposed to get to the one at Fergie's. I wasn't able to make it, but I, I'm, I'm really glad that I was able to make it out here and meet all you guys. And you sometimes know? you hear a little yeah. shit talking behind the scenes. None. Not for this. Mm-hmm. Just, just more yeah. um, of just, you know, that sad stuff and so many of us won't say anything you just see it on their faces it, it hangs on you and then when we talk something funny comes out but you see that oh, yeah. pain at his loss it's very palpable as a friend first and then also as a comedian just because he was one of those guys who's like oh, i can't wait to see mike go up because they're gonna love him and he's gonna love that you know what i mean like that yeah. there's something fun about I miss him in two ways. I miss him yeah. hanging out outside of a show, but then I also just miss I'll never sit in a room again and see him kill and see an audience fall in love with him because it's enjoyable, especially when yeah. it's your friend. You oh, love yeah. seeing your friend go knock one out of the park, and he did it all the time. And what, what a blessing that is to have a friend and get to be a fan of them also. Yes. It's... I've had so many of those, and I've been so blessed to know my favorite comics. Yeah. Like, you know, not the ones that maybe I looked up to growing up, but, like, now are my favorite comics. That you're, are your friends. Yeah. And, like, you know, like, 
you know, the thrill usually when you go see a comic is seeing their new stuff and they, mm -hmm. oh my God, they caught me off guard. But with your friends or even comics I've opened for that are famous, but I've opened for them, you know, eight times now in a weekend. Mm -hmm. yeah. I can't wait to see them do that joke that I've heard 10 times that I know, know inside and out, but I know it's going to kill. Yeah. And that's the joke where you start laughing 20 seconds before them because you're not laughing at the joke anymore. You're laughing at the anticipation of how hard yeah. it's going to hit them. And when it does, yeah. you feel this like almost like a superiority. It's like watching yeah. the matrix with somebody who's never seen it. And when they find <laughs> out what the matrix is, you're like, ah, I knew this the whole time. I'm better than you. You didn't know it. Yet. <laughs> like you're, it's, it's like a superpower. Yeah. You, I was traveling around with one of, one of my, I, I owed so much to a guy named Mark Riccadonna. Mm -hmm. He's just an, as, as nice as he is funny. And I traveled with him a lot and he taught me so much and I got to know his set inside and out so when we were recording for his uh, his special for his uh, his DVD I'm sitting there like mouthing it along with him and <laughs> yeah, like, but then still laughing right? yeah and then the laughing comes in and I'm like it's just so good it becomes you know? like when you see a comic enough that you know they're acting like that yeah. then it becomes like watching a band where it's like <laughs> yeah. I want to hear the hits not the new songs you wrote and then it's you're singing along in your head, and that it's that feeling yeah. where like you're just like, oh, I know all the words. It's somehow better to me. It was funny the yeah. first time because it was unexpected. Now it's funny because you know where it's going, and it feels you know the comforting. weight of it now. But it's still funny. Like I've seen Chip Chantry when he did his first CD. I had seen him do some of those jokes for eight years. Mm -hmm. I knew them inside and out. I could tell them, but I laughed as if it was the first time mm -hmm. because I was so excited about everybody else and their immediate new reaction re-energized me to the joke the joke that you're like because we get you know you get sick of your own jokes sometimes yeah. you get sick of your friends jokes but when a new audience mm -hmm. takes to them you remember you, you, it you see it again life. yes it's yeah. like dating someone mm -hmm. and you're like oh they're fine and then some other person's like look how hot they are and you're like they are really hot i, yeah. I didn't <laughs> think of that i always say it's like you're you're working on a painting you know you get to see all the details and you then you start to see oh i don't like that in the corner and yeah. oh, maybe i should have mm -hmm. gone with some different colors but you put it up in a museum and people that have never seen this before are now seeing it and they're appreciating it for what it is and it's something that i don't think you get to appreciate on your own and like you know this jackass behind me right here he knows hey. all my jokes so instead of rooting me on he's, he hears one of my jokes and he's like that's the 20,000th time yeah. you said that but that, yeah. that also brings to the comedy because I know too. how to shoot him down every <laughs> single time but you're also looking at it really up close to use the painting yeah. analogy and when you put it up in the museum mm -hmm. then you stand across the room and when you look at a painting far away that's when you see it the way it was intended yeah. you're not supposed to look at a painting mm. with your nose to the page where you yeah. see like where the pencil lines are you're supposed to stand away from it and observe it as a whole and that's what you yeah. do when you watch somebody set with an audience that it's all new to them yeah do, do you ever get like caught up in details like maybe you get stuck on a paragraph or a sentence where you're like i could word this differently always i mean i think that joke yeah god like it, it's basically just that like you get stuck on something and you're like this could be better but you can't figure out how it's going to get better. But it doesn't matter because no one knows how that joke was supposed to be. That's the, um, you know, that is the only real way to grow, I think, as a comic is to constantly be obsessed with, I know this is really funny, but it's not funny enough. To never accept, like, this always gets a laugh, it's done. To go, no, there's more. And, and I've never had a joke that worked well one year and then three years later wasn't way better with way more tags yeah. and that I feel like oh man I wish that first audience that saw it when I thought it was good could see it now when it's I know mm -hmm. it's to me a joke is not done until you take it out of your act 
yeah. you could you know what Ooh, I mean? It's okay. never done until you take it out of I I've literally been doing a joke for about six years, but I came up with a new tag last week yeah. and it's staying in there. It's and now that that tag is all I really care about is does that get a laugh? Because I know everything else is going to get a laugh. Yeah. That's what the point of why you keep doing a joke for eight years. Mm-hmm. It's because you know it's going to get a laugh. So you focus on that one new thing that you fixed. Yeah. And is that getting you one more laugh now? And that's all that matters. Yeah. You have to you have to obsess that. You have to just go, yes, this is getting laughs, but what? how can I make it better? Because yeah. you can always, always make it better. There's no such thing as a perfect joke. The perfect uh, yeah. joke is a one-liner that is as, in as few words as possible, mm-hmm. but everything else, there's so much room mm-hmm. to tweak and add on. And I yeah. think really, at a certain level, you, you, build your, you build your joke, you have your setup, you have your punch, and then everything else is adding tags ad infinitum. You know, and I have jokes now where I realize, I'm like, there's one joke here, and then there's like 40 tags. Yeah. Because you just keep adding them, but that's a tag to an audience is another punchline. It's a whole new thing and if you can string enough of them together you you'll you'll get this kind of yeah. wave of laughter it's it's the seinfeldian method of because seinfeld would always say a joke isn't really done until you've trimmed all the fat off of it so you've taken every word that's extra out of it it's not done yeah and that's his specific style that's his specific way. and i don't have that my things there's a there's a, a lot of fat on mine in that some a lot of it is is rhythm and that there's extra words beyond the punchline to give the audience time to laugh. It's something I learned from Patton Oswalt. Hmm. He'll tell a joke, and then he's got this extra stuff, and it's not as funny as the joke, mm-hmm. but the point of it is to give them a chance to laugh while still saying a little more, mm-hmm. and that's something that I... So you're I not kind just of, standing there waiting for the laugh. Yeah, I kind of fell into it just because I, I've, I've always taken to these really verbose comedians, and that's me, and I'm not trying to get it to the fewest amount of words. I'm trying to create this sort of rhythm and, and cadence. And there's a lot of little things that I can completely get rid of, but I use them because the joke is still going. Little yeah. things that you do during that laugh that you're like, okay, if no one can hear it because it's not important. <laughs> but it gives some... It's an energy thing. Yeah, and it's like a flavor yeah. to your yeah. to your yeah. soup or whatever. You know what I mean? It's, it's some part of it. That's my style. It's not a very sparse... Yeah. So the fat works for you. Yeah. yeah, the fat wouldn't work for Seinfeld. He's no, not a it's a totally different. Yeah. His jokes are funny because of their precision, because of his mm-hmm. perfect word choice. And I have some of that, but my jokes are funnier more from the comp- the complexity of the thing that I just yeah. wove for you and how how complete the image is. That it's very much like listening to a short story or a novel mm-hmm. or something like. Wow, this has been painted for me. So, yeah. and that takes a lot of words to do it the way I do it. Your burger has a bunch of marble in it. There's a lot going on. There's a on. lot of marbled yeah. fat in there, and it's you got to chew it Penalty for a while. Delicious. Yeah, and That's it creates cool. a different kind of of set. You know what I mean? It's where it's it's my thing is more rolling laughter and a lot, especially because you know Seinfeld does joke jokes. I do much more of a storytelling thing, and that is much more little laugh, little laugh, little laugh, little laugh. Make sure your biggest laugh yeah. is at the end. Yeah. But for my set, it's mostly little laugh, little laugh, little laugh, and then big one, mm-hmm. as opposed to Seinfeld, where it's like big laugh, big laugh, yeah. big laugh. That's his his sort of uh, you know heart monitor, mm-hmm. and mine is these little ripples. <laughs> but that's how anybody who does it, storytelling wise, that's where yeah. they live. Mike Birbiglia and all mm-hmm. those Patton and Paul F. Tompkins, it's just yeah. little little ones. But that keeps that them in it. That's all I. You have. are you yeah. are the setup punch. I'm not a storyteller. I it's, once I start putting too many words together, I fall apart and stutter. And that's it. So I'm like, I need to make this quick, and I need to make this concise. 
And that's, I mean, that's where I am. But that's and, good. I, I, yeah. I wish I was that because that you get more laughs. I thought I was a storyteller. You get more laughs per minute that way. Mm-hmm. But it's also, it's, I don't know, it's, it works differently for different people. I tried storytelling. It didn't work out for me. Well, who were you emulating? Because we all start out emulating somebody. I was, I, I'm not dirty on stage, but I was emulating a clean Carlin, if that makes any clean sense. Clean Carlin. Yeah. Like, of course, when I, was, when I was young, when I was 14, 15, I wanted to be George Carlin. Yeah. But, like, that's not me. Yeah. You're a great accessory to a story uh, kind of set. Because, <laughs> like, whenever we tell the story of the worst thing I've ever done, you're We're right not ready there. Yet. We're not ready yet. Color commentary. Maybe in another <laughs> decade I can One tell day we'll story. get there. There's this awful story we're waiting on. But, um, yeah. But, I, I, you're, but yeah, you're a great um, punctuate, punctuation. You, um, you're, like, the spice on top of my story. Because you've always got, like, that... Because you're, you're standing next to me while I'm doing this awful thing. And he just wants me on top of him. <laughs> <laughs> Generally the, uh, the thing. But, it, like, that's how I, yeah, like, we've, we've known each other for so long that we just, that's okay. how we work. But it's, I love talking to comics that have, because most comics, especially, you know, people who have really, who really love it, have analyzed it. Yeah, it's, it's not a just very... something where you're like, oh, I have a joke. Here it is. Like no, you, it's... you have the rhythm behind it. It's so mathematical, and people don't know that. And people that you see, where everything just seems loose and easy. Somebody it's like not... Patrice O'Neill, like it was just, it's everything just kind of flowed, and it seemed like he was just riffing. He worked so there was hard. so much balancing yeah. and measuring there. Mm. But the thing I was saying about like who, who were you emulating when you started is, in anything, in music, in in writing books, in stand up. The only way anyone really can start is to see something that they like and emulate yeah. it and then see what they're not, what about them is unlike the thing they're emulating. When I started out, I was just trying to be Louis C.K. It was like when Louis C.K. was like shameless and, and uh, a couple of those specials where he was just hilarious. The, yeah, the king yeah. Of, of the world. And I was just How like, did you take it? I want to be like that. And <laughs> I just got to a point where I saw why I'm not like him or I'm, I, I have some things in common with him, but I'm more of a mm-hmm. Paul of Tompkins, a Dana Gould, uh, yeah. a Patton Oswalt, and then I drifted mm-hmm. toward that. But everybody has to do that. You have yeah. to do... You'll see people who become the greatest storyteller, and they started out doing one-liners, but then they realized that wasn't them, or the other way around. They tried yeah. to do stories, and it didn't work, and they realized, oh, I'm a set-up punch. How else would you know? You just yeah. pick whoever you love, and you start trying to emulate them, and you, you fail at it, and you find out what you failed at. Yeah, and that's uh, the, the first comic that I found that was like... Oh, I want to do stand-up comedy because I've always wanted to do some kind of entertainment. But when I found Steve Martin, Let's Get Small, I listened to that every night on repeat for as long as I can remember. And I learned, I, I know every word to it. I know how where the audience goes up, and just I studied that. Thing, I, I couldn't wrap my head around it. Um, I, I watched it. I think three times before I started laughing at it. Yeah, it was that sort of. Groundbreaking. Like, I watched it, I'm like, I don't, or I laughed a little bit, I'm like, I don't know why this is funny. It took me until, like, the fourth watch to go, like, I understand why this is yeah. funny now. He's not cerebral, though. Like, he's he's not going up there to, like, fuck with your mind. He's just having fun. And if yeah, you're I, there, I with think it, he's like, incredibly cerebral. In the same way that I was saying, you think so? Patrice is, you know, you can't tell the mathematics mm-hmm. and the balancing. Yeah, I mean, it, Steve Martin was like a philosophy major. He'd written oh, amazing. Yeah. And th- what he's doing is incredibly deconstructionist of stand-up. Mm-hmm. I-, I talk about him as like, people don't know now, I and mean, kids now are like, oh, he's the guy from Father of the Bride. And it's like, you don't understand. He was, he did... Rockstar. Well, yeah, he did deconstructionist stand-up comedy. He did meta-comedy, comedy about comedy. And, and cool, a lot of people have done that. 
but he sold out stadiums doing that and no one has ever done that before and I don't think anyone ever will. Yeah. You don't sell out stadiums doing deconstructionist meta comedy. That's for like other comics and like really smart people. That's he crazy. found a way to make it for everyone and that's genius. Cuz now we'll I'm thinking never about be, it. Because he, he had a whole joke about, he's like, all right, now I have a joke for the, uh, I hear the plumbers are in, the plumbers union's here. And he just starts talking about, like, uh, he has a joke about, like, a ganglion wrench. And uh, he's just going on about, like, like just different hardware pieces. And the, the audience is laughing because of the setup. It's like, oh, there's plumbers here, and he's telling a joke that only they understand. Yeah. And uh, that only hit me now. That, yeah, no, I, I think he's one of the most cerebral comics that ever wow. was. But but you I'm getting he, mind fucked. He, well, is. he fooled you on purpose. He <laughs> comes out on stage with an arrow on his head and plays the banjo, and you think, oh, this guy's a goofball. He's hiding how brilliant he is because no one goes to a show. Ra rarely do they go to a show. And go, I want to hear this guy, you know, deconstruct what comedy is and make me think about things. You know, the beginning of yeah. I think it's Let's Get Small. It's just him talking about oh, the mic stand he can't get the mic stand yeah. going and like that's only funny because he's so brilliant and he's, yeah, he's making you think about things that you don't normally think about very cerebral i learned something just I be, really, well he tricked you he tricked us all you he really did i didn't know that as a kid i didn't know it until watching it as an adult yeah because I, I, yeah to me he was the guy with the arrow in his head playing the banjo and doing goofy things but now that it's all i gotta go back and listen now i haven't listened in probably a long it, more than a decade at this point. Yeah, look at what so, I mean. He and he weaved in. It's time to go back. Vaudeville and and music and and sort of a magician work yeah. into stand up again in a way that hadn't really been done. He's he is the bridge between vaudeville and the um, you know the the um what's it called the Catskills kind of comics of the yeah. 50s and 40s and the modern comic. He's sort of a bridge between the two. He yeah. had one foot in each because we don't do that anymore. You don't dress up in a suit like yeah. that necessarily and go do an act that is as much performance art as it is stand up now yeah. it's like you know you wear a t-shirt you kind of talk about whatever it's very loose his th every syllable of what he did was practiced and he did it for yeah. 10 years before anybody knew who he was for, for those of you who don't know the uh so you know before you had your vegas and your and your la comedy happened in the catskills yeah, and like, in New York and yeah. like the, and I don't really just know what New York it's like. In general. You would I'm go up and stay there. What is what the Catskills? There was just a lot of comedy happened there. Yeah, I, I don't know what, but it's like an area or is it a club? Like yeah, it's no, yeah, it's an area. Yeah. It's like the, okay. I don't know exactly how to describe it. It's I don't like really know. Comedy mm. Broadway. Yeah, but it was <laughs> like it was sort of like resorts or something, mm -hmm. right? Huh. It was like a place where you would go and stay mm -hmm. and I can't really describe almost like going up to the Poconos and like yeah. staying up there yeah, and so going they, to what's up there but you would go see so they comedians. were playing like cabarets or something kind of yeah like mm -hmm. it was it was the scene but that that was really it that was one of the only places you could be where you were just consistently making money at the time and it was a very specific mm -hmm. you know Henny Youngman please take my wife kind yeah. of shtick <laughs> that's what it was and that's what comedy was to most people until you know, Richard Pryor and Lenny Bruce and people like Steve Martin came along and were like, well, let's take it to the next Let's go somewhere step. else with it. Yeah. But yeah. Steve Martin is like a great bridge between the two, you yeah. know. And that's that's what I love. And I so much appreciate you giving us way more time than I could have ever asked anybody. <laughs> read Born Standing Up if you haven't read it. The Steve Martin I, book. Yeah, amazing. I've been meaning to. Amazing. I haven't got a chance to. Not very long. Really interesting. We read that. It's yeah. You'll understand where I came with my take. It's from reading the book and seeing. Like, does he oh. like talk about it a little bit? In there? Yeah, I mean, he really gets into like 
kind of because he he did he worked like I forget like at Disney World or something weird like and he yeah he was there like opening or yeah that's like where that. he like started yeah. and he did sort of like a magician act hmm. and went from there to 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 stand up and like you know did his stand up in San Francisco in like bars where no one was paying attention and didn't know what it was for years yeah. and I don't even know how it got from there to the famous thing but it's all in the book I don't know and he did it for such a brief time too well yeah like, I mean he he literally says in the book and I, I think he's right and, and Eddie Murphy kind of did the same thing you get to that stadium point there's nowhere to go from there mm-hmm. and people just drop out because there's no there's nothing else to do mm-hmm. all you can do is kind of go back down to the club level and start over but mm-hmm. it's I, I feel like it's hard. Almost no one who got to that level can't kept that. going. There's you no more mountain that. to climb. There's yeah. nothing else to do. Yeah, and it, I don't. I wouldn't. I mean, I, I'll never be that famous or whatever. But I, I don't. The idea of doing stand up in a stadium doesn't appeal to me in the least. I mean, yeah, it would be a lot of money no and a lot of people. There's no intimacy. I don't you like can't the work idea because the you're just yelling. You can't into hear the crowd. You can't hear them laughing. Yeah, it's a totally. If you've done like any uh, like, if you do a big big room. Uh, it's a totally different those even like those 2000 person rooms like you you learn to like do your joke and just wait 20 seconds because it's got to get all the way to the back of the room and let them laugh and let the sound travel it's a completely different rhythm you don't just go joke 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 you like wait a long time in between and you don't usually know if they're laughing or not. Yeah, and if there's an echo in the room, it's like that's it. You're waiting for that yeah, echo. You're waiting for it to too. They finished laughing 30 seconds ago, but you said boom, 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 boom. They have to hear you. That's like the first rule. Yeah, but um, real quick, where can people find you to uh, to get your stuff? Um, my my website for my book is alteregoblue.com. Yeah. Otherwise, I'm on Facebook as Dave Teruso, and I'm on Instagram as alteregoblue. Awesome. Cool. Thank Dave, you guys thank for you having so me. Much. Thank you. For, thank you for coming. Thank you for coming. Mike Brooks forever. Mike Brooks forever. Mike Brooks forever.